Today's Bible reading comes from Revelation. Revelation number chapter 20, starting at verse 1 through to 15. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They, became, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come, come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. When the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of this life of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Thank you, Pete. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Etienne and um Kind of wish I didn't have to preach on that passage this morning. Uh, but but we, 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 if you're visiting with us, we're in a series on Revelation, last book of the Bible. Uh, we're getting to the end of that series. And I want to kind of kick this message off by, you know, when you sometimes meet a person um, who are, uh, you know, they kind of just come out in a conversation straight up with, <laughs> with what they think. They just lay it down. 
And you might be tempted to sort of arc up and go, whoa, 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 that's what? Uh, and walk out. <laughs> um, but you just got to hang on a bit to hear a bit more. I, I want to kind of do something like that in this message. I want to, as I have done over the last number of weeks, give you the, give the game away, give you, give you what I think this passage of the Bible that we just read, what is it saying? Now, this morning is, is quite confronting. So, so I'll give you this statement. Um, here it is. Main point. At some point in the future, Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, either to eternal life with him or eternal hell with Satan. Right? Today is your first day in church. And you're going, <laughs> yeah, this is what I don't like about church, right? Or about Christianity or some Christians. Maybe you yeah, have been a Christian for a long time and you go, yeah, even I don't kind of do this, yeah? Uh, I'll mention it later, but we're going to get to the points of some of the questions that you might say, if this is true, how do I deal with loved ones who don't believe this? this? This is a significant question. We're in deep, deep, deep water today. Be very clear about that. I just want to acknowledge that up front. And I want to tell you, if you're new to church, I'm going to work a bit today just to help you uh, come, you know, this is the blur, here it is. But just let me just bring you along a bit on this to hear you in, not just perhaps that this is true, but why this might be a good thing that it's true. That's the unthinkable thought. Can this be a good thing? Right? I want to work with that a little bit later on, so stay with me. You've, you've, you've got the, the big bang, stay with me. Um, we're going to answer some questions on that. Maybe uh, you are here uh, and you've been here for the whole Revelation series and you're going to look at that statement and you say, well, that sounds an awful lot like last week's statement <laughs> as we looked at Revelation 19, uh, a passage in there. Well, you're quite right. It is an awful lot like last week's statement. What I want to do next for the next five minutes, and this is going to be a fairly long message, but the next five minutes I want to do what I've done often throughout the series is, is at the outset we said, let's view Revelation or these sermons as a, as a movie and, um, you know, in the old days you had bonus features and you can do extra bits of the making of the movie, what goes on in the background and so forth, just to explore a bit of that. I want to do a bonus feature this morning for about five, maybe ten minutes, five minutes, okay, quickly. Don't worry about this if you don't get it, <laughs> okay? Again, if this is your first day in church, again, if you're new to Christianity and all of this stuff, don't sweat this stuff. I'm going to do it because I think it's helpful. It, it crops up in conversations with, among Christians and uh, I don't really know why it's all that important, but, but, but I'll take you through anyway, just to have your bearings, okay? Five minutes. Uh, we, we read um, 
we're here in Revelation, in this last bit, 1911 to 20 verse 15. I preached on 19 verse 11 to 21 last week. This week, uh, we're doing these two together, although they're quite different. 20 verse 1 to 6 talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ and uh, first death and a second death. And then it gets to the very end where it talks about, again, the final judgment of the dragon of Satan, where God's going to finally judge him, right? That's sort of the rough lay of the land. Now, Christians interpret this differently, very differently. Uh, there's three ways of interpreting what goes on here. Um, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining all of it because it's going to take too long. Some people go, okay, here's Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. Um, this is a period of tribulation that we're living in. Jesus is going to come back again some point in the future. Some people, are, like his, his children, are going to be, they call it the rapture, you're going to be whisked away to be with him. And then there's going to be a thousand-year time, a literal thousand-year time, that's going to elapse, um, and then there's going to be the last judgment where, you know, go to heaven, go to hell, it's going to take place a thousand years after that, and then there's an eternity, okay? So, what folks do who interpret Revelation in this way, they go, remember, right at the early parts of Revelation, we said some people go linear. Revelation tells us this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and you kind of match world events and human history to match the line, the timeline, okay? That's very much an interpretation of the Bible in that way. 19 is going to happen, 20 verse 1 to 6 is going to happen, then the last judgment is going to happen. So there's these kind of two movements in, way in which the world's going to end. Christ is first going to come, then there's going to be another thousand years, and then there's going to be the last judgment. It's in a line, right? This is how it's going to go down in the end. Second way of interpreting it is a bit different. Uh, some people go, this is called post-millennialism. The millennial, millennium is the thousand years that's mentioned in 20 verse 1 to 6. Christ is resurrected. There's a church age. Christ isn't going to come back here, but there's going to be this thousand years, literal thousand years, some would say are symbolic, people differ on that, where Christianity is going to do super well. You know, the whole world is basically going to become the church. It's going to be a time of enormous uh, fruitful gospel expansion and really when it's been preached everywhere and everybody's kind of become a Christian, put it that way, a child of God, then Christ will return. And then the second coming and the last judgment is all the same and then eternity, right? Then there's a third way to go. It's called amillennialism. A means there really is no literal millennium. There's no going to be no literal thousand-year period uh, towards the end of the world. Christ raised from the dead. This is the church age. This is the thousand years. We're living in it now. We interpret it symbolically. It's not a literal time period. It is an age or an era in which, which started when Christ was raised, which ends when he returns. Um, and then the last judgment's going to take place. Christ is going to come back, and then it's heaven or hell. 19, verse 11 to 21, that we looked at last week, and the last part of today's chapter, talking about the second coming and the final judgment of Christ, say the same thing. They run parallel. They repeat. It's not this one, then this one, then this one. It's, no, nah, Christ's going to come. It's going to be the end. We're living in the millennium now. That is how people broadly, bonus feature getting to an end, interpret what's going on here in Revelation. Can I say a couple of things about that? Um, there are genuine Christians in 
any one of these camps of interpreting Revelation. I don't, I don't think it really, really matters <laughs> having your head around this. I think the basics are kind of the same. Um, the gospel is the gospel. Christ will return and we ought to respond to him in faith. That main statement can some way be true regardless of which position you take here. I think the biggest mistake you can make with this stuff is to get too obsessed with it. Okay? I think, I think we sidetrack what really matters in the Christian faith. All right? And we get non-Christians very confused because the new people in church you do go, what? Yeah, you know, so, that said, I'm an amillennialist. I think that's the best understanding of how it's going to go down. I think the best picture the Bible portrays is kind of this. Um, I'm not going to defend it and give its details. It's not the time and place for it. But it's worth you knowing that the rest of what I'm going to preach functions from this kind of point of view. Um, that we're in that thousand years. Sometime Christ's going to come back. Second judgment. Well, last judgment, sorry. And this is what's going to happen. Okay? That's where we're coming from. Bonus feature over. So, if this is all confusing, this doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. Tune in now. What I want to do is I want to break up the next bit of this message into two parts. We're going to look at that 20 verses 1 to 6. What can we learn from that? Then we go to the end of the chapter. And that's where I want to look at the issue of hell. That's where I want to look at the question of how can a loving God send anybody to Hell. What is hell? How do I cope with hell? If I'm a Christian and got a lot of non-Christian family and friends, that's sort of the questions I want to look at in that, that part of the sermon and the passage. But first, come with me. We'll quickly chat through 20 verse 1 to 6. If you have a Bible um, with you or a phone, um, please crack it open and feel free now if you want to just move about to grab some Bibles in the middle. Um, to refer to if you, if you want to. I too am going to grab a Bible because I don't actually have one on me up there. And I re-extend Ryan's offer. If at any point throughout all this you need to make a cup of coffee or stretch your legs, feel free to go for it. Don't, don't, don't feel uh, that you can't do that. Okay, um, I want you to look for me at 20 verses, 1, 2, 3. Um, we read there that... Satan, the spiritual opposer to Christ, is going to be thrown into the abyss. He's going to be chained up. He's going to be bound. He's going to be put away so that he cannot deceive people any longer. We talked a lot about falsehood and deceit and how the world works over the weeks, if you can recall that and you've come here. And there's a question out of that that you are going to ask. Okay, well, you've told us all along that Satan is really active in trying to shape the world into telling me falsehood and lies. God is all about truth 
and telling truth, and I'm in this tension of what's true, what's false, what's worth believing, what's not. How do I base my reality on what is true and what is false? Satan is out there. That's what we said all along. And now you get to these verses and you go, well, he's actually bound. He's in the abyss. And you're telling us we're living now in the thousand years, which means Satan surely should be bound now. How does that work? This is where people come up with different explanations because they go, well, you know, post-millennialism goes, well, no, well, Satan's clearly not bound now. Therefore, we can't be in the millennium. Um, if Satan is bound, everybody here would be Christians in our world. How do you resolve that tension is one of the questions that comes out. I don't want to spend a long time on this, but I will say to you that I think Satan is bound, but not absent. We don't interpret this as Satan is chained and locked up in the abyss that, in a way that tells us that he has no effect. We need to think perhaps Chronicles of Narnia here, right? Jadis, White Witch, very much has Narnia under her control, active, and yet every creature belonging to Aslan in the story knows that she's bound. <laughs> She's, she's not the ruler. She's not the ultimate authority. Whatever they encounter in that eternal winter and cold and dark and misery and lies and deceit is not the truth. The ultimate light. You know, uh, bound but active. And I think this is what we need to interpret in terms of Satan in Revelation in our existence. This thought that Satan is, in fact, bound, in fact, already chained, in fact, already in the abyss, should make us sing the words of that song this morning. I get quite emotional, really loudly. The gospel shall not kneel. It shall not faint. The message you hold out about the love of God to your children, to our community, ourselves cannot faint <laughs> it cannot be extinguished the church will not be extinguished it will not, it cannot this, this chapter is such a remarkable encouragement to say <laughs> Christ will reign we spoke about it at a leadership uh, meeting uh, on Thursday night, the verse came up uh, that God laid on someone's heart uh, the gates of hell will not overcome it will not overcome the church despite what it looks like it cannot. It will not. And so you need to be immensely encouraged for your own life as a Christian. Your own faith, if it's true and genuine in Christ, will endure. Satan falsehood will not extinguish it, nor will it extinguish the church. Okay? Satan is there, real, active, appearing successful, but bound. Locked up. It's the first thing from verse 1 to 6. Second thing is this. Would you look for me at verse 3 and at verse 7 to 8? Uh, the back end of verse 3, after he's been locked up in the abyss, he must be set free for a short time. Verse 7 and 8, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prisons and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, that's an Old Testament reference to sort of a global... Uh, uh, you know. Um, Antagonist to God, 
uh, and to gather them for battle. In number, verse 8, they are like the sand on the seashore. Uh, it seems that there will be, at some point in the future, a unified global opposition to Christ and his church. When? Well, according to one YouTuber, he is watching and expecting for the rapture event, so he's obviously a pre-millennialist, to happen on Saturday, April the 16th, 2022, during the Passover and the full pink moon. Vladimir Putin's heart is being hardened from all the hate from everyone on earth. He's like a modern-day pharaoh. <laughs> but he was wrong. So, so we don't interpret... We need to be careful. That's why we don't go linear. I don't think we should go linear because you're going to try and do these sorts of things. When? We don't know when. We should thoroughly do away with that. However, be mindful that yes, sometime the details will reveal, I think, that there is going to be some opposition to Christ. It is going to be unified, it's going to be global, it's going to be incredible. And yes, we can interpret our times, you know, globalisation, uh, what sort of mediums like the internet are doing, in economic integration, um, the fact that we live in an era now of history where mutual self-destruction for the human race is entirely possible, all those factors you could easily plug into the possibility and the conditions that are ripening for this kind of unified global opposition. Yes, I'd say, yeah, we're progressing down that way. But we don't know when or how or anything like that. We simply know, I think, that there will be a time of significant opposition and persecution for Christians and for the church towards the end. Revelation 20 verse 1 to 6 indicates that, I think. In the meantime, thirdly, from verses 1 to 6, uh, there's fascinating insights into what happens to... Well, let's be practical. Last week, Frank Clark, a member from our church, had his funeral as a believer in Jesus. Where's Frank today? <laughs> where, where are your loved ones who believed in Christ today and those not? There's a huge window of insight in 20 verse 1 to 6 in this. They are pictured here as having undergone a first resurrection. I don't think that's a physical resurrection, but I think there's a conscious presence that they have, that they possess with Christ. The Bible calls it the intermediate state. It presents them as sort of ruling or being with Christ. I don't think they have authority to be God, but I think they have an insight with Christ on what's going on in the world. And they are, yeah, I'll say it again, consciously, spiritually, the soul of the human, present somehow with Christ already now, awaiting the fullness of their bodily resurrection and placed in a new heavens and a new earth where the full separation of evil and good have taken place. Okay? That's... I think how we should interpret all that business in chapter 20, verse 1 to 6 about uh, 
you know, the interesting things there are the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. It's not those, just those who have been beheaded. It's all people who held faithfully to Christ until the end of their lives, right? They didn't worship the beast or its image. They didn't receive their mark on their foreheads. It's the faithful, the believers in Christ. They came to life, not physically yet, spiritually. Their souls reigned with Christ in this thousand-year period. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the second coming of Christ, Presumably unbelieving people who died are unconsciously dead until then. And the second death, which is the last judgment, has no power over the faithful, but they'll be the priests of God and Christ will reign with, will reign, will, will reign with him for a thousand years. Hmm. Okay, uh, look, it's a loose hodgepodge of things that we see, but that's what we see in 20 verse 1 to 6. That's where I want to leave it. Um, I was going to do a Q&A, but... Don't think we have enough time for that. We'll, um, we'll leave it there. We see Satan is active but bound. We see it seems there will be, at the end of the church age, a brief, unified, global and intense opposition to Christ and his church. In the meantime, believers in God who died are spiritually conscious with Jesus where they'll be until their physical resurrection at the end. Now let's move to the last part of the chapter. Okay? Um, I'm going to read verses 11 to 14 again. Follow with me in your Bible if you wish. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Verse 15 is the stinging one. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, the lake of fire, hell. Christian concept of hell. What is it? Place of conscious, eternal punishment. The punishing aspect is primarily spiritual, though it undoubtedly will sort of have and contain physical elements as well. The torment lies in the absence of God and any of the good things that God gives, which he currently gives to you, whether you believe in him or not. The sun that's rising, everybody take a deep breath for me. It was a gift from God. You had air to breathe. That life to sustain you. 